Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we're bringing back one of our most talked about guests, Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. While the initiative was used to help take down the Soviet Union, its next goal, even back then, was to tackle a rising communist China. We're going to hear from Sikora on how exactly China became a superpower. But this is just part one of a special series. We'll also touch on several myths or go-to assumptions when it comes to tackling the China threat and what it takes for us to win. Throughout these discussions, one term that's apt to pop up is technology strategy. Technology isn't confined to just computers, AI, and biotech. Rather, it's the full range of equipment, material, and know-how that mankind has developed throughout history. Most simply, it's the application of science to accomplish a function. Something else to keep in mind, technology is not finance. Now, when it comes to a technology strategy, it focuses directly on the way that technology is used instead of just throwing money at R&D. Ultimately, it's about using it to outmaneuver the competition. Without further ado, let's begin. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming back. You're back by popular demand, so we're great to have you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. We're talking about a very important subject, and uh, there's such a tremendous mechanism, opportunity to get even more information out there. So I want to begin with this quote by the leading China threat that the 21st century race for technological supremacy is contested across multiple domains and moving at breakneck speed. Today's innovators will own tomorrow's future. As it stands, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, the European Union, EU, and like-minded nations risk falling permanently behind. The U.S. and Europe must win. So when it comes to, say, the U.S.-China relationship, it seems a lot of focus on is on how China became a supreme power super fast. So how did we get to this point? The really the key and what's caused this to happen, and the problem is it's still in there today, is the means China has used, and it's radically different than how the U.S. operates and a lot of the Western world, including NATO, operates. As a result, China basically had a free hand to do whatever they want to do. And what it boils down to is what we discovered in the Socrates Project, which we've talked about before, which, just to digress for a second, the Socrates Project, we had a twofold mission. Number one, determine the true underlying cause of U.S. economic and military decline. And then number two, once we knew what that cause was, was figure out a way to reverse America's decline in a fashion, and the West and the NATO, reverse their decline in a manner which would ensure our superpower status and the other country's military and economic might for generations. So what we determined, and this is how China became a superpower faster than any country in history, is that the U.S. switched from technology-based planning to finance-based planning. Okay? China used that to their advantage. What's the difference? In finance-based planning, the foundation of all decision-making is exploiting the funding more effectively than the other guy. So you're just optimizing your funds. Okay? And it's inward focus, basically, where you start off with the spreadsheet of money, how much money you've got to spend, you figure out how to parcel it out, how to maximize it, and then measure how well you maximize it on the other end. Okay? 
in technology-based planning, foundation of all decision-making, is exploiting the technology more effectively than the competition to generate a true competitive advantage, which does optimize and dictates how your other resources are required, like money, manpower, natural resources, uh, everything but technology. Okay, So what happened at the end of World War II, we shifted from finance to technology-based planning. China aggressively moved forward on technology-based planning. But here's the rub. If you're doing finance-based planning, they're doing technology-based planning, and you look at them, you have no idea how they're competing. You have no idea on how to counter them, and you have no idea on how they're being successful. Okay, And I'm amazed by the experts left and right will say, you know what, China's going to collapse tomorrow. They don't. And it's like, whoa, by all financial means, they should have collapsed. But yet they continue to win. It's because we're looking at the finance, they're maneuvering in the technology. Now, just as FYI, technology-based planning is what built the United States. Before the war, before we switched to finance-based planning, technology-based planning is what was the foundation for decision-making across the board. It's what built GM, Ford, Chrysler, DuPont, Dow. Or to put it in simple terms, before the way the decisions were made before World War II, was the first guy that made the decision was the guy that was responsible for making sure the product was great. What do we mean by great? It satisfied the customer needs better than the other guy's product satisfied the needs. So it was lasted longer. It uh, had more horsepower. It had all those things. Why? Because the guy who was responsible for making the product says, if I'm going to make a good engine block, I need this equipment, this material, this know-how, make the best, best bloody engine block on the planet, and it's going to sell because the car lasts longer. Okay. And to World War II, that all went away. Well, the finance guys came in and said, doesn't matter. We build an engine block, the world will buy it. You get minimum money because we're going to optimize the money to maximize profits. That's how China became a superpower faster than any country in history. And as they were doing this, the United States thought, thought they were on the path and Western world of becoming a democratic, free market country. So they basically gave them free hand to maneuver throughout the United States and the world in the exploitation of the technology. It's only recently that some, not all, have said, well, let, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe we should you know, pull back on that. That's how they became a superpower. So it sounds like it's almost twofold, right? There's the first part where the US switched from tech base to finance, and then China was kind of learning from the US, but then also exploiting the gaps that we had left. So it was like those, these two factors combined that really drove China's growth. But given how we've gotten there, it seems on the point of, say, exploitation, there's all these loopholes or different rules that the Chinese regime has been following that we see reports of currency manipulation and all these different things. So how has that been tying into the U.S.? Well, that, that's a great, interesting point because a lot of people will look at things like currency manipulation, uh, cheap labor, uh, trade policy, all those things, and they say that's the key to China's rise to power. It's not. But yet you do have the experts still running around Washington saying, if we just stop them from manipulating currency, if we get them to level their, their cost of labor, boy, we're going to show them who's boss. The reality is, 
is that those things that other people think are the means for China's rise are actually peripheral aspects of their, of their execution of their technology strategy. Okay, because if we look at a technology strategy, a technology strategy, let me just stop here for a second. There's a big difference between a technology strategy and a finance-based planning for technology. Okay, and if you would help me remember because I want to get back to that point. Okay, but what happens is when they're exploiting technology, the objective is to utilize the technology more effectively than the other guy. Okay. And there's a lot of peripheral things around there, like, well, if we've got cheap labor, we can convince GM to move part of their manufacturing over here. And because we don't have the technology, they have to, they have to give us the technology. Okay. So from a, from a Chinese perspective, they're saying, we want to acquire this technology because that's the foundation of all competitive advantage. And we know that if we offer up cheap labor, GM's going to say, hey, from a finance-based planning perspective, that's a total win and there's no downside to it, and we can't see the downside, we can't see what's gonna happen. So they gladly move the production line over to China, and the guy who's made that decision now gets a bonus, and he gets to go to the next level in GM management, and China's got the technology they need, okay? And the next thing, China will say, well, you know, we also got cheap labor for these other things, so can you expand the plant? And GM says, well, you know, I increased our bottom line by 2%, put another plan over there, which is going to build the next level of technology. So, boy, worked once, let's do it again. So they transfer it over there. What happens? China's now executed a part of their technology strategy to acquire first the first part of the technology, the second part of the technology. And all of a sudden... GM looking better, better. And then what happens eventually? Eventually, they have enough technology to build a car. So they, buy, they build some cheap little car that nobody really wants, or so GM thinks. And then they start, you know, selling them in the Chinese market and then at the U.S. market. And that was their objective all along. But it took very systematic acquisition of technology, and they utilized the, quote, cheap labor in order to acquire the technology, Okay. So, but from the Americans' point of view, <clears throat> they're looking at it and saying, well, China's rise to power was just cheap labor. That was the peripheral element. Because if you're executing finance-based planning, you look at everything from the perspective of finance. How much money you've got, how much you have to spend, and then at the end of the day, how well did you maximize the utilization of your money? Okay, Because if you look at it, to digress a second, is that Finance-based planning is incapable of providing a logical construct of the competitive environment. So all it does is says, we're going to optimize the money on the first, on the first part for our decisions. Then we're going to put it in the marketplace, let magic happen. And then after that, we're going to measure how well we optimize the money as the measure of success. So you optimize this on this end, and you measure how well you optimize it on that end, and everything else is magic, which actually causes generates what's going to happen over here. In technology-based planning, you are outmaneuvering the competition in the technology, which dictates your competitive advantage in the marketplace, which then dictates your financial and all the other benefits from what happened here.
It does seem in the U.S. there's a lot of focus on all the jobs we've lost, right? It's like, oh, and then there's a lot of focus on, say, intellectual property theft. But it seems in general yeah. we're just giving away all the know-how to adversaries and losing our own jobs. And then you mentioned earlier how there's finance based in terms of technology. How does that work? Well, in terms of, in terms of technology, it's like, for example, in Congress right now. We've got all these people, well-intended, who are talking about a technology strategy. But it's still finance-based in the sense that all they're looking at is how do we spend money? How do we optimize the money? So if you look at the Chips and Science Act, all that is is what, $268 billion, and its whole function is to spend money. Okay, who gets what money? And then we're going to do R&D and we're going to beat them to the punchline. But that's different than figuring out how we maneuver in the exploitation of the technology, developing, acquiring, and utilizing. So one is just optimizing the money, and then you're going to measure how well you optimize the money. The other is how do we exploit the technology more effectively? If you look, it's, it's a game of chess. China plays a game of chess with technology exploitation. And it's a worldwide game. So they're offensively and defensively exploiting technology worldwide in order to consistently increase the competitive advantage they generate in more and more domains, competitive environments, and what have you. At the same time, we're just optimizing the money to maximize profit. Or, you know, Chips Act just to pour more money out there with the hope that someone's going to invent something good. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. And after the break, we continue our special coverage with Michael Sikora. We move into the next myth that crops up when it comes to the China threat. How manufacturing is the key. But is that the sole solution? That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our special coverage with Michael Sikora. We move into the next myth that crops up when it comes to the China threat. How manufacturing is the key. But is that the sole solution? So when it comes to, say, the cheap labor in China, that seems to be one of the sticking points, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you have the slave labor, you have all of this happening. And that seems to be a big part of where many people see the issue. So how much does that play into it? Because it seems that was one piece that China was using to draw in companies, but then the real goal was to get the know-how. So how much does that cheap labor play in? Because it seems right now the argument is like, oh, just move the production out of China, move it to Mexico, other cheap countries. How does that relationship work? You know, there's a couple different ways around that. First of all, with automation and things like that, you reduce the need for cheap labor. But the countries that are smart, and China's not the only one, utilize that for their technology strategy in terms of acquiring the technology. So just moving you know, the production from China over to another country, that, that uh, could then just create another problem in another country, not as aggressively as China, but another, another problem. The key, the key 
is they're always looking at it from a financial perspective. And it needs to be executed and looked at from a technology strategy perspective. Because one of the things China does, interesting note, is they're allowing some of the manufacturing to come back to the United States. One of the ways they're pacifying certain members of Congress is moving a production facility from China or allowing it to be moved from China back to the United States. Congressmen will run around and say, look, we beat the Chinese. Look, they moved jobs back to here. We got an increase in jobs. But if you look at it from a technology strategy point of view, China is doing that because they know they own the technology and what they're doing is they're taking advantage of our cheap labor. Okay, But they're not going to do that with any technology which they believe is going to impact their ability to be the sole world super dominant power. So if they transfer some old technology back here, which they originally got from us, let's say, in order to exploit our cheap labor, they have actually freed up some of their people to move up into more high-tech things and more other areas, which they think are more critical for their dominance. Same thing with if we move it to, uh, if we move some manufacturing somewhere else. The, the point is, is not how do we maximize profit? The point is, how do we build and maintain a competitive advantage? The other part that comes in here is, if you look at it, China is playing complete warfare. Okay, we do warfare in military. That's the way you're supposed to do it, right? It's holistic warfare. And there's a couple other terms for it, but it's like there is no division lines between military, commercial, social, whatever. It is holistic warfare. And the point is, is some of those technologies are high-tech, some of them are low-tech, some of them are medium-tech. But they are exploiting all those technologies in a way to generate the required competitive advantage they need. Their objective, because China's position is to reclaim what they see as the rightful position as the sole world super-dominant power. Okay? Now, the core of that and as their government has stated for years, both in speeches and in written documents and whatever, is technology exploitation it de defines the strength and the growth of a country, period. Okay, That's something the United States doesn't see. Now, on top of that, because they understand that, they see that the way for them to become and to regain their position, regain their position as the world's super dominant power for generations, is to become the center of the world for all technology exploitation, development, acquisition, and utilization. Which means they're not going to do all the technology in house, not all the R&D, not everything else, but yet they have to control it from their center point. So yes, they will farm out certain parts of manufacturing the utilization of technology to the U.S. They will farm out certain parts of R&D. But their technology strategy, which is the underpinning of all this, is to make sure, is to very quickly become the centerpiece for all technology exploitation. And here's the thing that it takes a little while to wrap your mind around. To do this requires a strategy. It's very, very fluid offensive and defensive. It's like any good strategy. So they see they will allow the U.S. to do certain technologies, 
do R&D, whatever, but they know they're going to get it. Have you ever heard the story of battery one, two, three? There's a U.S. company, I think they're in Michigan, who is working on the next great breakthrough for batteries. Okay, and this is going to put the U.S. on top. And Department of Energy looked at that and said, we're going to pour a lot of money into it to help you know, accelerate the R&D foot race to get the U.S. company there first. Investors came in there and said, we're going to put some money into it. And they just rushed the finish line to get the breakthrough. Okay? China sat back there and said, you know what? We could join that race, but why bother? We're going to outmaneuver them. So what China did is they looked at all the technologies required to manufacture that battery, okay? Because there was this one breakthrough which was going to be a great, you know, achievement increasing battery density and things like that. But there's also all these medium to low-tech technologies which are required to actually manufacture once you have the magical technology. So China went in there and acquired some of these stupid technologies nobody in the United States cared about because, oh, those are low-tech, who the hell cares about those? They tied them up. Finally, battery one, two, three gets the breakthrough. Now they're ready to manufacture and own the world for the new generation of batteries. Then they looked at manufacturing them. Oops, they can't produce them. Why? Because one of the technologies required, they couldn't access. China owned it. So what happens? Well, eventually they run out of cash from the investors, DOE and things like that. And it starts going into bankruptcy. At that time, representatives from China walk in and say, you know what, we'd like to buy your company, including the breakthrough technology, and we'll give you pennies on the dollars. Well, the commercial investors, who were the first in line, said, yeah, it's better than a complete loss, sell the company. So China bought the entire company for pennies on the dollar, got the, quote, magical breakthrough technology the U.S. had spent so much money on, and they moved forward with the next generation of battery. So the point is, it wasn't just, oops, you know, if, we, if was, the tables were turned, we'd be saying, look what the Chinese are doing with that R&D. We better spend hundreds of millions of dollars to get in there and be in with the punchline. They didn't do that. They knew they could outmaneuver us in the technology exploitation because the objective was to generate and maintain the competitive advantage in the marketplace, which then, of course, turns into all the other financial, military, social, and whatever benefits. That was Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project within the Reagan White House. Be sure to tune in next week for the next part in this special series, where we'll tackle whether strategic decoupling is the solution, what steps the U.S. needs to implement to begin to counter the China threat, and more. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.